0: Snuff Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday, July 9. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Jan Fran. Jan, yesterday was our jab day. I went and got the Pfizer vaccine. Um, It was so quick, so smooth. I was just like, wow, after like a year of talking about this vaccine, boom, that was it.
1: Pretty uneventful for you, huh? Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, I sort of had the slightly opposite experience. So I went, yeah, I went down to um, see my GP. She was on maternity leave, the GP that I usually see. So I saw somebody else in the office and she just basically recommended that I wait for the Pfizer vaccine. So that's what I'm doing because my plan all along was go down, talk to your GP Whatever they say, just do. Don't think about it again. Mm. Make a decision either way, mm. right? I didn't want to keep to and froing and should I, shouldn't I?
0: And you're leaving it to a medical expert.
1: I'm leaving it to a medical expert. Yeah. yeah, she was pretty reticent to go into details about the different vaccinations. And I think that's partly because I think she might just feel underprepared a little bit. You know, GPs were thrown under the bus to some extent when the Prime Minister announced that under-40s could visit their GPs to get the AstraZeneca jab. They woke up the next morning and were like, what? Nobody told us. that was
0: last Monday night. That's right,
1: exactly. Um, So I I think, you know, it's partly luck of the draw, I want to say. I've had friends who've gone down to their GPs and they've talked about the AZ jab and they've left with an AstraZeneca vaccine and others have been told to wait for Pfizer. And I'm one of those people that's been told to wait and I'm cool. I'll do it.
0: All right, we'll get more on the latest COVID news and the vaccine news uh, in just a moment. Uh, we're also talking about plastics later in the briefing today. We've made some big advancements in cutting down our use of plastic. Have. But have we stalled? Where is that fight up to?
2: I remember when, like, wait, plastic shopping bags were banned and there really was quite a backlash in a number of states people just couldn't imagine how we could do without them well we moved through that
0: yeah so we moved through that Um, what are the next challenges where is that whole fight against single-use plastics up to that is our briefing first here are the big news stories of today
1: Well, extra police are hitting the streets in southwest Sydney. This is as the state tries to bring its Delta outbreak under control.
0: Yeah, so the number from yesterday um, was a bad one. It was 38 new local cases, 21 of which were found among people living in those southwestern suburbs.
1: Yeah, so those local government areas are so Fairfield, Canterbury, Bankstown, and Liverpool. Now, they are being touted as being of particular concern to health authorities. There are still 19 unlinked cases in those districts. Um, this is according to New South Wales Health.
0: Yeah, and so those LGAs are now the focus of a police operation uh, with an extra 100 officers on the streets trying to make sure people are following the lockdown rules.
1: Yeah, here's Bankstown Mayor Carl Asfour, He uh, told the ABC that his suburb is being unfairly targeted.
0: The virus didn't emanate here. It started
1: on the eastern suburbs. I'm more than happy if people are doing the wrong thing for the police to find them for not wearing a mask and for for not being home. I have to question and wonder why this did not occur when when this um, virus broke out in Bondi.
0: See, I don't understand that argument because uh, the cases from Bondi occurred before the lockdown started. These cases that are coming out of southwestern Sydney are happening during a lockdown. It's a key difference. What do you think? I mean you've got a personal attachment to that area and there's a lot of people saying it's racism, that it's unfair. What do you think?
1: Uh, I mean, look, I mean, I grew up in that area. I grew up in Bankstown. My parents still live in Bankstown. My entire family is in Bankstown. I would find it disconcerting to just be going about my business as very likely the majority of people are and just seeing cops Everywhere, um, I, it wouldn't be a very pleasant sight. I get that there are people breaking the rules, and I get that you need um, to, you know, enforce penalties for people doing the wrong thing. I think what is really concerning the health experts here is, you know, some of the demographics. People are likely to say work in service jobs, for example, and they might need to leave their kids with their families, and so they might you know, pop by their mother's house and drop the kids off there. So it's not so much a visit, but it's a a necessity perhaps for some people. Um, There's also questions around messaging, like did the message get out to the right people at the right time? This is my concern because if you drop the ball on the messaging and now you're sending 100 cops down the street, is that really fair if people didn't know what the right or wrong thing to do was? And, like, I'm confused. You know, the lockdown came in, I was at a wedding. Because we could still go to weddings, you know. And I am i consider myself someone who's like across all of the messages and across all of the right things to do. So if you're someone who's not watching the news every day, maybe your first language is in English, you're not in touch, you know, with community leaders as much as what you should or could be, and you're not getting the messages and you visit your mum's house, are you a criminal? Do you really deserve to see cops outside your door? That's just, that's my vibe
0: on it. Might send the message, though. Um, We also talked yesterday about um, Brad Hazard, the New South Wales Health Minister's comments that if we can't get this outbreak under control, uh, we might just have to learn to live with the virus. It seems that since he made those comments, the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, has been out hosing them down with statements like this.
1: There isn't anywhere on the planet that's managed to live with this variant of the Delta virus uh, without having a proportion of their population vaccinated.
0: Yeah, so that, that's the message now. I think she's trying to uh, clear that up. But I think this little sort of difference in the way that they're messaging um, on the Delta variant and how we're going to move forward with it shows that there is a difference of opinion emerging within the New South Wales Cabinet. Mm-hmm. And that's in the nine newspapers this morning where they're quoting um, senior ministers saying, there's a real split on do we still go for this full-blown elimination strategy or not now? And there's been a third death linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine. The TGA said that a 61-year-old woman from WA has died from immune thrombocytopenia or ITP, um, which is a rare blood clot syndrome like TTS, the other one we've heard a lot about. Uh, And the TGA said that her death was likely linked to being immunised with the AstraZeneca vaccine.
1: So in total so far, there have been three deaths and 76 cases of the rare blood clotting syndromes from approximately 5 million doses of that vaccine. Now, this comes as we learn that there will be an increase in the supply of Pfizer.
0: Yeah, good news. Um, so, so far, the story is coming from a veteran Canberra journal in the Australian newspaper. Uh, he's reporting the government has struck a new deal with Pfizer that will see our supplies triple from July nineteen. The report says it'll take our weekly supply from 300,000 doses to 1 million doses.
1: Yeah, it can't come soon enough. And remember the story
0: about the nun and the school kids going to court over climate change? Well, there's been a big development on that story.
1: Yeah, there has indeed. It is now the law in Australia that the Australian government must protect young people from climate crisis harm. Now, this was after um, a formal declaration by Australia's federal court just yesterday. This is a groundbreaking finding that the court wrote into law, and I really hope that it has run down effects now and causes the environment minister and the wider government to think about the impacts that climate change will have, um, that are directly exacerbated by their actions in Parliament. That was Anjali Sharma. There, she's a Year 11 student from Victoria. So last year, she, seven other teenagers. And an 86-year-old nun, which, you know, it sounds like the beginning of a joke. It's not very real. They took the Environment Minister, Susan Lee, to the federal court, and this was in a bid to prevent the expansion of the Vickery coal mine in northern New South Wales. Now, their argument was that Miss Lee actually had a duty of care to protect future generations here in Australia when seeking to approve the extension on that coal mine. In May this year... Justice Mordecai Bromberg ruled that the minister, yes, must take reasonable care... To avoid causing personal injury or death, this is quote unquote, Mm. to Australian residents under 18, from again, quote, emissions of carbon dioxide into the Earth's atmosphere is a pretty historic ruling.
0: Yeah, uh, they ruled that the mine would still go ahead, but they made that broader ruling, which has now become law.
1: I'm really glad that the Environment Minister will have to take into account impacts on the future generation because we are the ones who will be left with whatever the Environment Minister hands us in the future.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that ruling plays out in um, future cases yeah. around certain mining extensions and expansions. Yeah, that's
1: right. So so right now, it really just only applies to this particular project, but it could set a precedent um, for future court cases around coal mine expansions for sure.
0: And there'll be no spectators at the Tokyo Olympics after the Japanese government declared a state of emergency to deal with another wave of COVID
1: 19. Oh,
0: we must strengthen the countermeasures to prevent the infections from spreading to the rest of the country again. We will issue a state of emergency for Tokyo and extend it in Okinawa until August 22nd.
1: That was the Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga announcing this state of emergency there yesterday. I know the country's Olympic minister also confirmed that the decision meant no spectators at events in or around Tokyo, and this was after a meeting between the Japanese government and Olympic organisers. It's not going to be a great vibe in Ah, Tokyo this year, dare I say. Yeah,
0: when people were saying, oh, you know, don't let the Olympics go ahead, I was like, well... At least the local fans will be able to go. Yeah,
1: now they can't. Well,
0: they can go in the regional cities, but not in and around Tokyo, which I imagine is where... The majority of the events will be held, so that that is really bad news.
1: Yeah, they saw almost a thousand new cases yesterday um, in Japan, which has been the highest figure since May. You really thought they would have got it under control by now, given they've known the Olympics were happening at this point.
0: Well, still really low compared to countries you know like the US and the UK, what they were going through. But yeah. you know, obviously enough to concern the Japanese authorities. Uh, let's finish with some good news, Jan Ashbardi.
1: Hey. She's going to be the first Australian woman to make it to the Wimbledon final in over 40 years. Huzzah! She beats um, former champion Angelique Kerber. Overnight. What a legend.
0: Yeah, amazing. So she's going to play Carolina uh, Pliskova in the women's final on Saturday. So uh, Australians will be gathered around the TV um, in New South Wales. have got nothing else to do. Oh,
1: dear. I'm sure yeah. it's going to be some ungodly hour as well. But worth it, man. Mm. I mean, the last Aussie woman to make it to the Wimbledon final was Yvonne Coolagon in 1980. So worth watching.
0: Yeah, it's going to be huge. All right, in a moment, we're talking plastics.
1: Tom, be honest, how much plastic do you
0: use? Look, cut down a bit over the last few years, but still a lot. In our kitchen, there's the the two bins, there's the, the general waste and the recycling, and the recycling fills up really quickly. Yeah. I know lots of it goes to landfill, doesn't even get recycled.
1: Yeah, I feel like I've been using a lot more plastic in the last 12 months because of COVID. I get a lot more food home delivered and that's all wrapped in plastics. I get groceries delivered and that gets delivered in plastic bags. We're using... PPE materials a lot more obviously because of the pandemic and you know a lot of the masks that we use for example are made from a particular material that takes up to 500 years to decompose And these are disposable masks, so you're only really supposed to use them a few times and then kind of get rid of them.
0: Otherwise, they stink like this one right here in front of me.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So on today's briefing, we're asking, are we losing the fight on plastics? Are we starting to go backwards? Because there had been some massive progress, like the the 2017 moment, for example, where supermarkets announced they'd be phasing out single-use plastic bags.
1: Yeah, in the last few years, each state and territory has, you know, they've progressed at a different pace but they have brought in bans on items like straws and plastic cutlery. Now, though, it seems to be more of a team effort. So in April this year, environment ministers from all the states and territories agreed to phase out eight types of single use plastics by 2025, which is really just around the corner.
0: So that included lightweight plastic stirrers, straws, polystyrene food containers. So it's a great goal to set. How do we get there? Will we get there? Those are the big questions. Uh, We're going to put them to Kate Noble. She's from the World Wildlife Fund and heads up their No Plastics in Nature policy. Kate, thanks for joining us. What would you say are some of the highlights of what the different Australian authorities have done in recent years on plastics?
2: This is hugely important. We know that these plastics, when they enter the environment, cause a huge amount of damage. So some of these actions which involve bans, uh, legislation, series of policy announcements are going to make a big difference.
0: So which states are leading the way and which ones are dragging the chain?
2: We've just completed our updated plastic scorecard for 2021. So, WA has come out ahead. They've regained first place, which they held previously. Okay. Um, and they're kind of on the leaderboard, really, with Queensland, South Australia and the ACT. Around about the middle, we've got Victoria and New South Wales, and unfortunately, Tasmania and Northern Territory coming up behind. Um, we know they are making progress. But as yet, we don't have a clear plan to reduce these plastics from those states and territories.
0: The green, pristine Tasmania dragging the chain on plastics. What the hell?
2: It is unfortunate. Look, we're expecting to see a plan from Tassie coming out early next year and we're very keen to see something that's super comprehensive and tackles a really wide range of plastics as WA has.
1: So on this plastics scale of
2: states doing you know, good, bad and ugly. How do you actually rate them? We look at a range of single-use plastic items and they have been agreed uh, federally for phase out over the next couple of years. We look at what the commitments are from the states and territories in terms of phasing them out, whether they've even made a commitment. And then we look at the timeline, how ambitious that is. We also look at how strong the commitment is. So, where bans have been legislated and are now law, you know, that really ranks right at the top.
0: Okay. So there's plastics we use in our day-to-day lives that have got a lot of attention, like shopping bags, drink bottles, coffee cups, but has reducing our use of those really made a dint on the overall level of plastic that's produced? Because there's all these other areas like, you know, commercial plastics, microfibers as well.
2: Yeah, so this is going to be a work in progress. We anticipate it will make a big difference because these are the items that are most commonly littered and enter the environment quite frequently. We know they break down into microplastics, cause all sorts of problems. You're right in saying that we've got another couple of areas that really haven't been dealt with yet. Microfibers is a big one, but we do have a national commitment to have filters in all washing machines by 2030, and that again is going to make a difference. It's a long time frame, but it's a complex problem. Cigarette butts are another one. They contain small plastic filters that take 10 to 15 years to break down, and we think around 8 billion cigarette butts are littered every year, so what's not being cleaned up is entering the environment. We've got quite a few issues still to address, and packaging is obviously another one. Mm.
1: Can you give us sort of an indication on what consumer plastics versus commercial plastics are? Like how much of the plastic that's
2: output by Australia is consumer and how much of it is commercial? A lot of it is commercial packaging. When you come to looking at damage to the environment and damage to the economy as a result of damage to the environment, you really need to look at how it's treated as well as what's being produced. Mm. So, where there are effective processes for managing waste in commercial industries, Mm. that makes it a different level of concern to consumer items that are more typically littered and enter the environment.
1: I think that a lot of us, when we put you know plastics in the recycling bin, we think we're doing the environment a great service. But how much of that plastic actually ends up
2: being recycled? The data that we have um, tends to lag a little behind the current situation. Several years ago, China decided that it wasn't going to import any contaminated waste from any country. And the reality is that that ruled out most waste exports to China for reprocessing. So, Australia and many other countries were forced to come up with solutions to that. Some of those solutions involved trying to find other export markets for them and shipping them elsewhere. So, it's really taken quite a while, but it is quite a huge process for Australia to get to the position where we've banned uh, the export of waste, We require that to be reprocessed and dealt with locally. We are in the process of building up the recycling infrastructure to do that. But at the moment, it's quite difficult to tell how much goes to landfill. I guess it's also really important to remember that recycling is not the top of The waste hierarchy, which describes how we should be dealing with waste and minimising waste. We should always be focusing on reducing the amount of waste that we produce. We should always be focusing on reusing everything and adopting sort of ways of behaving and and consuming that um, maximise reuse. And then recycling sits down below that.
0: Okay. You wouldn't put a number on it there, how much ends up recycled, how much ends up in landfill, but there's a number in the federal government's National Plastics plan and I think it's worth putting this out there because it'll surprise a lot of people that 84% of plastic use is going to landfill. So that's a shocking number yeah. if it's anywhere near
2: that. Yeah, the amount that is recycled um, in Australia is under 20% um, and globally it's even less.
1: Wow. What impact do you reckon COVID has had on us being able to fight against plastics? Because I just know from myself, sadly, I am consuming more because I'm getting stuff delivered. The cafes are not accepting keep cups.
2: PPE gear, a lot of that is made out of plastic. Mm. So how much has this set us back? I think realistically it has set us back, but I think we're starting to readjust back on course. Certainly our systems for dealing with medical waste are pretty good. You know, we produce a huge amount of medical waste. But in terms of leakage into the environment, you know, that's a pretty secure waste stream. But yes, online shopping is obviously increased massively. You know, there are some mechanisms in place that will start to help with that reducing eps or you know polystyrene that comes to pack consumer goods in when they're delivered um, that's all going to be phased out over the next couple of years but yeah you're right it's had an impact
0: there was an interesting idea from twiggy forest the mining magnate 2 years ago he launched this idea of uh, putting a tax on plastic production as a way of disincentivizing production of new plastics and using the money to help fund the recycling of plastics Do you think that was a good idea? Does it address this global problem and has it actually achieved anything?
2: The Conservative government in the UK has just introduced a packaging tax. That means that if you don't have a certain amount of recycled content, you pay a tax on the commercial packaging tax that that you're producing. It exists elsewhere it's worth considering. Certainly, the bottom line, the objective of that is really something that we need to be focusing on. You know, so much of the plastics that is produced and imported into Australia and every country around the world is virgin plastics derived from fossil fuels. It has a significant carbon footprint. We're not taking the waste hierarchy approach at all when we're using so much virgin plastic. Now, the reason for that is because virgin plastic is very cheap and recycled content just doesn't have the markets and finds it very difficult to compete with virgin plastic. So this is a big problem. You're right. It has global implications. It's part of the global plastics economy and needs global solutions.
1: Kate, just quickly before we let you go, we're banning all of these plastics by 2025. That's kind of around the corner. Do you reckon we'll be able to get there as a country?
2: Good question. And I think we can. I remember when our uh, lightweight plastic shopping bags were banned and there really was quite a backlash mm. in a number of states. People just couldn't imagine how we could do without them. Well, we moved through that. So I think if we focus on this transition period in terms of looking at and, and increasing the understanding and awareness of the really great products that already do exist that allow us to increase our reuse and reduce the amount of waste that we produce, you know, that transition is going to be a whole lot easier. Look, other countries and states around the world have done this. They've done it successfully. It's not rocket science. Yes, I think we can do it.
0: That was Kate Noble from the World Wildlife Fund. Jen, an interesting one I just thought of. I just ran out of bin liners last night. And okay. I, yeah, <laughs> and I have read that that's something that's got to go. They recommend you just oh. hosing out your bin. Don't use plastic bin liners. Like, you know, just gonna, it gets a bit gross unless you really...
1: Yeah, you really really get in there. Yeah, that's
0: right. So, do I buy any more plastic bin liners? I think the answer has to be no.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'll kind of take away from that conversation, and just in general in my life over the last few years, is it does make a difference when you change your habits, and eventually that's just the thing that you start doing. Like I carry a keep cup with me all of the time. It took some time to get there, but now it's just second nature and I don't think about it. So it might take you some time to hose out your bin, but you're just maybe going to get to a point where that's just the thing that you do. Yeah, or
0: you just have a stinky kitchen and that's fine. Either way, whatever
1: you're comfortable with.
0: All right, thank you so much for listening to uh, the weekday briefing. Uh, Jamila Rizvi, what's happening on the weekend briefing?
1: This weekend I have had a really awesome chat with pop star Danny Vinogh. I grew up watching her on television and being a mega fan of her and her sister Kylie. So this was a real rush for me. She chatted about her childhood, the way she broke into the music industry, moving to London and her life there. And she also spoke about being caught up in the UK phone hacking scandal. The way she talks about it was absolutely shocking. This is an episode not to miss.
0: Danny Minogue on The Weekend Briefing and she's got a new show on Listener, All 90s Tunes which is uh, pretty huge. Um, thank you so much for listening to The Briefing. A big shout out to our hardworking team, executive producer Dan Mullins, producers Brooke Loudner Emily and Kennedy and Matt Kuzkari, editor and Emily Lodge who does our socials. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you later. Listener